in Jeremiah 29, and of course, verse 11 is the titular verse that we're going to be, uh, be looking at today. 29, verses 1 through 14. And bear with me, there are some names in this passage, and we're going to do our best with them. Now these are the words of the letter which Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the rest of the elders of the exile. The priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the queen mother, the court officials, the princes of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the smiths had departed from Jerusalem. This letter was sent by the hand of Elisah, the son of Shaphan, and Gamariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judea, sent to Babylon to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, and plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and become the fathers of sons and daughters, and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands, that they may bear sons and daughters, and multiply there and do not decrease. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will have welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets who are in your midst and your diviners deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams which they dream. For they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, When seventy years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me Search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and, get, and you will gather and will, excuse me, and will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from where I sent you into exile. All right, let's talk about what has happened up to this point. After Rehoboam, which is uh, David's son, who becomes king after David dies, after that, Israel splits in two, the northern ten kingdoms and the southern two kingdoms. The northern kingdom continued to be called Israel, the southern kingdom was called Judah, and there is where Jerusalem was. In around nine, I believe it was 900 BC, right around there, Assyria captures the northern kingdom. The northern kingdom had zero godly kings in its time. Zero. Hence why they were taken earlier. So Assyria comes and captures them. In the year 722 BC, so about 200 years later, Babylon shows up and sacks and captures Jerusalem, the southern kingdom. Why did the southern kingdom get to last longer? They had two good kings, the most famous of which is Hezekiah. So in 722 B.C., Babylon comes and takes Jerusalem. And that's what has happened. Here, we read it there in verse 2. This was after King Jeconiah and the queen mother, the court officials, the princes of Judah, and Jerusalem, the craftsmen, and the smiths had departed from Jerusalem. Remember, when, they, when, when Babylon would capture a city, they didn't just burn it to the ground, and Rome would copy this hundreds of years later. 
they took some of the culture and they took the smartest and best men and women and assimilated them into their culture. Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel? This is where they came from. And so that's where we find it, and that's where Jeremiah the prophet is writing to. Now, Jeremiah is referred to as the weeping prophet. He cried a lot. He had good reason to. The people whom he loved had turned its back, their backs on God one too many times and were now being held captive for what would become 70 years in a foreign land. And we know, right, that after those 70 years, uh, the Medo-Persian Empire comes and takes Babylon, and then the king allows Nehemiah to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And that's what happens after that. So that's the history that's surrounding this time. So, who remembers what number one is from last week? Because it's the same one this week. It's a failing grade. School might be out there, but it's in session here. Number one, out of context. Number one, out of context. Now, you remember at the top I said this verse, when it's taken out of context, its meaning doesn't change. And, of course, we're in Jeremiah 29, verse 11. And, of course, I have it memorized, as for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. It's a little bit different here, but it means the same thing. Welfare, not calamity, and plans to give you a future and a hope. Here's the problem, though. A lot of times when this verse is taken out of context, people take it as a promise that everything will work out how you want it to. That's just not true. In fact, most of the time in life, things are not going to work out how you want them to. That's just the nature of the world that we live in. It's a sinful world. That's how it is. This verse does not claim that everything's going to be hunky-dory in the, in, in the very end. It'll be hunky-dory, but in the, in, in the immediate, it might not be. Remember, Jeremiah is writing this to a people who are about to spend 70 years in a foreign country. It would be as if the Middle East, let's go with Iran, captured America completely and utterly. And I wrote you a letter saying, listen, you'll be delivered. In 70 years, most of you will not live to see that day. And most of the people that were captured from Jerusalem will not live to see the day that, the, that, it, uh, that Israel is set free. That's why Jeremiah says, listen, God's telling you, have kids, get those kids married, let them have kids, plant a garden, work for the welfare of your city, you're going to be there a while. Things worked out for Israel in the end. If you remember, right? And even after those 70 years, Israel doesn't become a nation again. Israel wouldn't become a sovereign nation until 1948. 2,000 years later, Israel became a sovereign nation. And they still aren't well respected in the world. Just because this verse is a promise, and it is a promise. It's a promise that things will work out in the end. In the very end. Here's the other thing that we need to recognize when we're reading about this verse. It was not written to, nor does it apply to you. This verse was written to Israel in 720-ish BC, strictly to Israel. The principle of this verse applies to you. There's a difference there. 
The promise itself was not made to you. The same thing as the Davidic covenant, the Davidic promise was not made to you. It was made to David and to the line of David. I'm sorry, none of your descendants will sit on the throne in Jerusalem. It's not going to happen. The Abrahamic covenant was not made to you. Your descendants will not be like the stars in the sky. I'm sorry. You will not inherit the land of Israel. It's not going to happen. You're not Abraham or his descendants. That song, Father Abraham had many sons and I am one of them and so are you, it's just not true. We're not Abraham's descendants. The promise in this verse that he would deliver them and have a hope and a future for them was not made to you. The principle in the heart of God behind it, though, is, and that's where we're going to transition into number two, which is, oh, come on, people. In context. Oh, listen, we've got one more week of this. We've got to get it next week, okay? It's going to be out and in as well, out and in. In context. We talked about that in its context, it was written to those held captive in Babylon. But here's the thing. We see the heart of God in it. And the principle of this verse applies to you. The principle that God does have a future for you applies to you. But that specific verse does not. Now, here's what I'm not saying. I am not saying not to have this as your life verse. That's not what I'm saying. You can. But understand its context behind it. My life verse is an Old Testament verse as well that does not apply to me directly. It was not written to me, but the principle behind it stands. A verse that's very similar to this verse in the New Testament is Romans 8, 28 through 29. Let's read it, shall we? It's not going to be up there because uh, I didn't put it in there because apparently I'm not very good at making PowerPoints. But uh, most of us are going to know this verse. If I can get there, holy mackerel, there it is. Verse 28, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. That's the same principle. I know the plans I have for you. It's to make you more like my son. That's the plans he has for you. Now, those plans, that's an incredible plan. That's an incredible thing. And he knows the end. You ever read the back of this book? First off, if you have, you would not be as scared of coronavirus as you are now. Because the end of this book is way worse than what we're facing right now. And I'm here to tell you, this is not the pale, or no, is it the, I think it's the black horseman, which is pestilence. It's not that horse. That's going to be way worse than this. Trust me. The closest thing we've got to that would have been the black plague back in the Middle Ages, and it's going to be worse than that. So trust me, we're not in the end times with that. But I do know that in the end, my future is in eternity in heaven, 10,000 years, and then forevermore. That's my future. That's my hope. And so when you have this as your life verse, when you have this as a verse, because I mean, like, this is one of the first verses I had memorized, right? We learn this one, Genesis 1-1, John 3-16. You know, these are the verses that we learn. Recognize what it's saying. Why am I harping so hard on this stuff? First off, I'm a context person. I love everything in its context. I'm an information person. 
And so to understand the information and the context around something, it helps me to understand it better. I recognize that not everybody is quite like that. That's okay. They're not the pastor. I am. So you have to deal with me. Sorry. But that's reason number one. Reason number two is because I want us all to understand that this verse, or not Romans, uh, although Romans as well, but Jeremiah 29, 11 means so much more than what we leave it at. You could take that verse and leave it at in the 70, 80, 90, however long years I have alive in this body on this earth, God has a hope and a future for me. He does. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It doesn't mean it's going to be good for most of it. But you could leave it there or you could take it to where it's supposed to go and go that God has a future for me. He didn't leave me held in captivity. You see, before I was saved, I was held in captivity, chained in a foreign land. But God said, I have a hope and a future for you. Do you accept it? Yeah, you're going to spend 70 years in captivity. I know, but I'll spend eternity with you. I want you to understand that this verse takes it further than what we leave it at. Just as how last week's verse, when we leave it in its context and understand what it's saying, it means so much more than what we say it does. The same applies with Jeremiah 29, 11. So by all means, have this as your life verse. By all means, have this memorized. Have it, you know, in nice calligraphy and a picture on your wall, or your phone background. I don't care. By all means, have it. But understand what it's meaning because it means so much more. And its hope is so much greater. And it gives so much more life and this future. You're not going to have calamity. We live in a world, look at the world around you today. Two weeks ago, everything was fine. A week ago, we knew about the coronavirus, but nothing had really changed. Three days ago, things hadn't changed yet. And now schools have been shut down, and they're talking about Italy is completely shut down, and they're talking about various other things. You live in a world that is surrounded by calamity. You live in a world that tells you there is no hope, there is no future. I'm here to tell you this verse says there is. It's in heaven, and I can't wait to get there. But for now, I've got to live in captivity. For now, I've got to spend my time here on this earth. So you know what? I better plant a garden. And not just feed myself, I better feed the people around me. And you know what? I better bless people around me. And I better work for the welfare of my town, of my state, of my country. Because I'm going to be here a while. Lord willing, I'll be here a little bit. But recognize that there is a future. An eternity in heaven. And that's why it's so important to understand this verse in its context. Because it lightens up so much more. Would you pray with me? Father, we praise you this morning. God, we recognize that we do live in a world that says there's no future, there's no hope. But I say there is because you said there is. And yes, this, it's a hard world that we live in. It's a rough world that we live in, but we serve you. Father, I ask that we would be encouraged this morning to do more, to walk more, to bless more, to plant that garden, whether that be a metaphorical garden or a literal garden, and to work for the good of our country, of our state, of our towns, of our families, of our homes, and that ultimately, Father, we would look to you and realize that we do have a future, we do have a hope. It's in eternity when we get to be with you. Father, we love you, we praise you, and it's in the name of your Son that we pray. Amen and amen.